time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, October 23rd, 2020. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy Friday to everybody out there. Another week in the books. Just checking them off as we roll right along here in the crazy year of 2020. We're almost to the month of November, and then we only got two more months of this crazy year left. Let's get to 2021 and uh, switch that calendar real quick. You know, it's coming fast. Halloween is coming fast. I don't know how many of you are big Halloween fans out there. My girlfriend, Valerie, sure is, and she's putting together all kinds of decorations and things here at the house for her big Halloween party that she's throwing. So we're looking forward to it and it should be a lot of fun. I'm not a huge Halloween guy. I'm more of, I I tolerate it. It's fine. There's some cool things about it, but uh, as soon as uh, Halloween ends, I'm ready for Christmas decorations. Yes. November 1st. That's when they go up or somewhere in that first week. That's just how I feel. Uh, You don't have to do it that way. That's just how I do it. So anyway, happy uh, early Halloween to everyone out there. It's uh, the weather starting to change, starting to get that late October fall weather overcast. I love it. So uh, good things ahead. Uh, Today on the program, guys, a real privilege, a real honor for me. Uh, You guys are going to hear an interview I had with my uh, longtime coach at Real Hondo Prep, Ken Drain. Uh, Mr. Ken Drain has been at Real Hondo Prep for a long time, for basically all of his life, uh, involved in Care Youth League as well. He was in the first class at Real Hondo Prep. Uh, A few months back, we did a fun tribute to him. A lot of his former players participated. Over 50 guys really sent in voice messages to uh, me that I put forth out in in an in the episode for Mr. Kendrain to celebrate his 70th birthday. So that was a lot of fun. I knew we'd get him on the program eventually. I was uh, so honored that he was willing to join me. And we had a very long conversation. Uh, the The podcast is pretty long today. Uh, but you know what? I Once I started talking with Coach Drain, it was just like, okay, let's keep going. There was, uh, there was time flew by. There was no time limit. And I really want you guys to hear this. So my intro and everything today really won't be much. Very brief. Uh, I want to get right to this interview with uh, Mr. Ken Drain. So uh, I think a lot of people out there who either participated in the episode uh, with Mr. Ken Drain, the tribute a few months back, or if you, if you didn't, uh, I think you'll enjoy this quite a bit. We cover a lot of things, we, a lot of different things, kind of a, a timeline of him coming up through care and Rio Hondo prep. All the teams he's coached, uh, basketball, he coached a lot of basketball over the years. That's his favorite and the thing he he has uh, been doing the longest. But he's also been the head football coach at Real Hondo Prep for a long time. He took the reins uh, as officially in 2001, uh, finished that final year of eight-man football with a championship. Uh, I had the privilege to play with uh, Dev, or excuse me, Devin Drain, which is Mr. Drain's oldest son, and we were in the same class, so we played on the eight-man championship team, Mr. Drain's first official year of the being the head coach at Real Hondo Prep for the football program, and then uh, he took the program into the 11-man era, and he retired a couple years ago, but it was not before uh, he he was at the helm for four different 
CIF championships in the 11 man era. So five CIF football championships for Mr. Ken Drain as the head football coach, 2001, 2005, 2009, and 2011 and 2012, as well as two different times in the championship game in 2004. And I believe it was 2008, maybe 2010. There was a, there was a runner up there as well. So tremendous success from Mr. Ken Drain at Rio Hondo prep on the football side of things, basketball side of things, great success as well. He had a great team in 1990 that we're going to talk about one of his earliest teams. I know a lot of guys from that team listen to this show. They had a great run in the CIF and, and into the state playoffs. So we're going to chat about that. Uh, he's had some other good teams along the years. Uh, Devin Drain, as I mentioned, was great playing alongside him. Uh, he and uh, my good friend Bill Ritter, which is incredible basketball players. And uh, recently, well, recent history, I should say, seven years ago now. But Mr. Ken Drain finally won his first CIF basketball championship after being close many, many times. So we talked about that uh, as well. And kind of uh, he's going into... Uh, over his 30th year, 30 something year coaching basketball. So we chat about that. We chat about referees, uh, referee interaction, and also kind of being hard on players uh, and family life as well. Anyway, uh, I won't ruin the interview, but just a lot of fun things to talk about with Ken Drain and a great way to uh, wrap up our, our week and our week of shows, or I should say, you know, our three days of shows that we do now with our new format. Um, I did, I chose to not do a suds with studs segment today because one of the things Mr. Kendrain and I talked about was his service in Vietnam, getting drafted, uh, going uh, into the military and, and going, uh, being deployed to, to Vietnam. And, and he was gracious enough to, to talk about that and that experience. And so I, I kind of feel like you know, we all love Mr. Drain. Uh, you know, he's he's a hero to a lot of us for many different reasons. Uh, but just his humility and his absolute uh, his, his humble side of, of just, you know, being a servant. We, we know him as a servant. And when he served in the military, uh, that was just one more example of the type of man he was. So he talked to me a little bit about his military service, which I thought was uh, was great. Get some insight there. So to me, I'm kind of making that the, the Suds with Studs segment today as we really, on Fridays, we try to fit in somewhere, talk about law enforcement or military service or something. But I think it was tied in today with our guest, Mr. Ken Drain, as far as uh, his military service. So really fun interview, really long interview. Uh, you guys might have to break it up into parts, or maybe if you listen to some over the weekend, I know that the, a lot of people have been wanting to listen to this uh, interview with Mr. Ken Drain. So uh, I won't waste too much of your time. We will, uh, we'll get to it here in a second, but I do need to comment on the world series. Uh, a big congratulations to the Los Angeles Dodgers in game two for hitting more home runs than the Tampa Bay Rays. A huge congrats. That's a great achievement. I, I think, I think it's spectacular. And uh, because of that, it looks like the Dodgers have taken a two games. Oh, Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. You don't win games by hitting more home runs than the other team. I I thought with all the fanfare and all the – oh, I apologize. So the Dodgers did not win that game, game two? I thought they hit more home runs than the other team. Doesn't that mean they win? Wow, that's weird. Well, the Dodgers lost game two, apparently. That's news to me. I hope you all know I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, some of you rolling your eyes. Uh, but no, the Dodgers did not win game two. They hit more home runs than the other team. Ooh, celebration. Yeah, jump up and down. Do your fancy dances and everything. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Look, at, I'm not saying home runs are 
bad. They're bad. I'm not saying, no, they're instant offense. They're great. All right. But it just, I just feel like some teams just live and die with it. And I know the Dodgers had a pretty decent offensive output in game one, putting, putting together some consistent hitting, timely hitting, as they say. But then they turn right around and, and lose game two with only five hits. Three of them were home runs. Okay, you got out hit by the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they two-timed you. They hit. They had 10 hits. You had five hits. Uh, that's kind of, I think the double digits in hits, if you can get to 10 hits in a game, you're probably going to be okay. What is that? Almost, you know, just over one an inning. If you can scratch across one hit an inning, all right, that's probably not enough. At some point, you're going to have to have a couple hits in an inning. All right, but just any way you can find offense, steal, stolen bases, and I know they've done that. Mookie Betts, he runs well, and uh, but I just feel like, man, the Dodgers, if they're not hitting home runs, it's like they can't do anything. At least that was the case in game two. A uh, great, great uh, pitching performance, though, from the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays starter, Gonsolin. I mean, he just, or excuse me, uh, let's see. I apologize with my uh, my uh, my lack of uh, information here. I hope I'm looking at the right game. Yes. Uh, sorry, guys. I'm all over the place on this uh, this day. But the Tampa Bay starting pitchers, uh, that was the uh, Gonsolin for the Dodgers. My apologies. Uh, Meadows. Meadows pitched very well. And uh, as as did a lot of the the pitchers in the Tampa Bay bullpen. So congrats to the Tampa Bay Rays for evening this series and for really, you know, I think opening L.A. fans eyes. I think uh, Dodger fans out there, Los Angeles fans, they really thought they just kind of run away with this thing. And maybe they will. Maybe they'll piece it together after a day off on Thursday and, and go real hard for the next uh, three three games and, uh, you know, push the Rays aside and, and win their World Series. But I'll say this, the Rays came to play. Don't sleep on the Rays. I doubt they get blown out in three games, the next three games. They're, even if they don't win, they're going to put up a fight. So Dodger fans, uh, you know, rest assured you you knew this game, this series could go seven, seven games, and, and it just might. So uh, be prepared. It's going to be a fun, exciting weekend. Uh, baseball World Series games, three, four, and five on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, respectively. Uh, additionally, there's a huge UFC fight. Seems like there always is, but uh, UFC this weekend, UFC 254, the lightweight title bout between uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje. Uh, if you're not a UFC fan and you're curious, that's a uh, pretty good fight to check out. It is pay-per-view. But uh, anyway, Khabib is the one who beat McGregor not too long. Well, it is a long time ago now after the lockdown and everything. But uh, anyway, that, that's some big news. So Monday, we will have plenty to talk about between the World Series, NFL football, college football. And of course, we'll touch on that UFC fight. But uh, for now, let's get to our interview with Mr. Ken Drain. Uh, just a tremendous honor, as I've said already. Can't wait for you guys to hear this. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Here is Mr. Ken Drain. First Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. In a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets first prize. So run your race to win. To win the contest, you must deny yourselves many things that would keep you from doing your best. An athlete goes to all this trouble just to win a blue ribbon or a silver cup, but we do it for a heavenly reward that never disappears. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. 
I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. Like an athlete, I punish my body, treating it roughly, training it to do what it should, not what it wants to. Otherwise, I fear that after enlisting others for the race, I myself might be declared unfit and ordered to stand aside. Okay, joining us today on the program is Mr. Ken Drain. He is a former coach of mine, as well as many listeners here on the program. I had the privilege of being on the team with his oldest son, Devin Drain. He and I are very good friends, and Mr. Drain still has tremendous impact on so many young men uh, that he's touched over the years. It's an absolute privilege to have him on the show today and have a fun conversation down memory lane. Mr. Ken Drain, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Matt. Glad, I'm glad to be here. Outstanding. Well, Mr. Drain, uh, I, I've heard from a few people that uh, you've listened to the podcast a little bit over the past few months. And, uh, you know, how did that all come about? Did you just, uh, were you that bored? Did you wanted to listen to, to me ramble away as well as some of my guests? Or how did that all come about? Well, I'll start it because Devin was on the show and Devin told me to listen. So I listened to that show. <laughs> and uh, so he showed me how to get on the podcast and so forth. And um, and during COVID, there wasn't a whole, I couldn't do a whole lot. They actually sent me home from the school here because of my age. And so I had to stay home and work from there. So I was out walking a lot and I just listened to your show. It was very entertaining. I, I really enjoyed listening to a lot of the guys that I coached in just to see how they were doing. It was great. Yeah, I, I think it, I didn't quite know what I was going to, what direction I was going to go with this, but it started to kind of come in a certain direction. And it's been fun really catching up with a lot of alumni, seeing what they're up to, uh, a mini reunion, if you will. Um, so, so I'm glad that people like you were listening and found it entertaining as, and as much fun as I did. Um, Mr. Drain, I think we're going to kind of go through a timeline here of, uh, kind of the beginning for you, because you were there at the early stages of Real Hondo Prep, kind of right as it started. Um, but uh, anyone who knows you knows that you are originally from West Virginia, a big Mountaineer fan. And when exactly did you move out from West Virginia to California as a kid? Uh, we, moved to, we moved to California in 1954. Uh, I, was only, I was only four years old. I, so I don't have a lot of memories of West Virginia, mm -hmm. uh, but I do have a few uh, that I remember, uh, not, not very many good ones. I was born there on a dairy farm, very small dairy farm. Uh, we lived with my uh, grandparents on my mom's side, and he was a dairy farmer. And uh, I, the only thing I can really remember, I remember going to the dairy with him, riding in a truck, taking milk to the dairy and so forth. So, uh, so I, I, that's about all the memories I have. The other ones are kind of you know, emotional things like we had to shoot a dog once because it had rabies. And I remember that for some reason sticks out in my mind. But other than that, I don't have a lot of memories of West Virginia, except for we went back there all the time on vacation. So that was great. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, you know, being a young kid and being from there, it's funny because you're, you're a very uh, big Mountaineer fan. You always, I think anyone who's, who uh, you've coached have seen you in that Mountaineer gear, that blue and gold uh, did that just become something that uh, you just picked up over the years or just really proud of being from that area, even though you moved out here at a young age? Well, I'm very proud of my heritage. So yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, 
always glad to tell people I'm from West Virginia. I think it's, I think it's great. Um, <laughs> and uh, my grandparents, all my family lived there until we moved out here. So, and uh, we actually have two, there's two roads in West Virginia named for, one is a drain road and one is a Smith road, which is my uh, mother's side of the family. So, you know, West Virginia is kind of big for us. That's fantastic. Wow. Uh, was it Jerry West was from there, right? Or went to school there, I think? Yeah, Jerry West. He was my favorite player. As far as oh. I'm concerned, he's the best player ever in the NBA. So that's just me because he's from I, West Virginia. I think it's great. I think he's the logo. How can you, how can you argue with the logo? That's great. <laughs> Proud Mountaineer and done a lot for the Lakers and stuff. Uh, awesome. Well, what was it? So what are your early memories uh, as a kid in California like? Uh, and when exactly did you get involved in this program, Cary Youth League or Boys Christian League back in those days? Well, uh, California was a lot different back when I uh, moved here than it is now. I mean, I lived on a street over in El Monte that had like six or seven houses on it. And right next to it was a big strawberry patch. And on the other side of the strawberry patch was a, was a dairy with, had, with cows and everything. And uh, so, you know, and that, so it was completely different, a lot less people. The air was a lot cleaner, at least for a while. Uh, as soon as the population grew, the air got really bad here. The smog got terrible. But when I first moved here, there were a lot of clear days. Uh, and I remember all th those kind of things. Uh, I joined CARE when I was eight. Uh, it happened, uh, Mr. Mr. Wickstrom uh, was my first leader. He was we were just out playing on the street and he came down and, and was uh, talking to kids about joining care youth league. And he talked to their parents and to be honest, he wasn't going to let me come because I was too young. He was looking for nine year old kids and I was only eight, but my next door neighbor, uh, his mother said that I play with these kids all the time and I was good enough to play with them and so forth. So he let me come. So that's how I got in. And we started as a fourth grade team, even though most of our kids were third grade and then, we got killed by everybody, so they finally moved us down to a third grade league. But when I started football, I have to tell you this, I played football games with no shoes. I played barefoot with a helmet, no mask. So I uh, wore blue jeans and, you know, little shoulder pads with a jersey, and that was it. And uh, so uh, that's, that tells you it kind of ages me. So anyway. <laughs> Wow. What was the deal? <laughs> just, that was, Hey, get out there and play with whatever you got. What, what, what was that all about? Yeah, it was just, it was youth football was, wasn't, didn't even really exist back then. Cary Youth League was the first organization to ever play youth tackle football. And um, in fact, we have a ball somewhere here it used to be up in the old Indian club room. That was the first junior size ball ever made in this country. And uh, it was made by Voight, and they made it for us. So um, that's an interesting story. So, yeah, youth sports weren't very big. They started to get big right after that. They started to grow. But Care Youth League was the first one to do it. I absolutely love that. And, you know, there's kind of been this, uh, I guess, attack on youth, youth football specifically over the past 10 years or so. And I always think it's interesting that Care Youth League – was among the first or was the first, as you said, to do it. And why do you think that was? Do you think Mr. Hampton just in his thinking, the founder of Care Youth League, that he just wanted to do something that he knew boys would love? Uh, he, he just wanted to do something that at the time couldn't be done? 
yeah, I, I don't know if it was something that couldn't be done, but I think he wanted to do things, like you said, he wanted to do things that boys would enjoy to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, football was one of those things that, and you know, you know, playing, I, I say playing barefoot, playing without a mat, we never got hurt. And it, you know, it was no big deal. It was fine. It was, it's little kids don't get hurt necessarily playing football. Oh, it's when man. you get older, the things start to, when people start hitting really hard and, and, you know, hitting with their helmets and all that kind of thing that uh, that's when things get pretty dangerous. But, you know, youth football is not that dangerous. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody hits that hard in youth football. <laughs> they use, it's a bunch of hugging. It's a bunch of running the wrong direction. Uh, putting the gear on seems to be the hardest part. But back in your day, you guys didn't put much gear on. So there you go. No, no we didn't. And uh, we all survived. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, our first year of football I played, we, we tied one game and uh, we lost all the rest, but it was still fun. So, <laughs> so you said they were looking for older. So carry youth league was just like specifically fourth and fifth graders at the time, or they just didn't have any third grade. No, no Mr. Wickstrom was starting a new club. Oh, okay. and he was starting at a specific age and, um, it was Yukon. You probably never even heard of Yukon, <laughs> but, uh, he was trying to start a new club. It only lasted for like two years. And then we kind of went into uh, joined Indian after that. So and had Mr. Johnson as a coach. Oh, outstanding. So man, this is some, some great stuff. So had, had that, the, your friend's mother not spoken up for you, uh, you may not ever been on that team or, or involved in care youth league. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, <laughs> I'm very happy that she stuck up for me, and I'm happy that Mr. Wickstrom came down the street because uh, it's been a it's been a wonderful however many years it's been since I uh, joined. Was it oh. 62 years I've been in Carrieth League? So. 62 years! Wow, wow, that's unbelievable. Um, so Carrieth League, a great experience, and then uh, how did it come about? This you were in the first class of Real Hondo Prep. How did this all happen? Like. Um, the very beginning, was it just Mr. Hampton saying, we need to have a school? Did he talk to guys, you know, was there a conversation with kids like you and, and others about having Real Hondo Prep? What was kind of the very beginning of uh, Real Hondo's founding? Well, I don't have a lot of information on that because I was, I was uh, too young to be involved in anything like that. But all I know is that I was um, – here working on something as an eighth grader. Uh, I think I was cleaning a court or something, getting something ready for a game. And uh, I think it was Mr. Wickstrom again, asked me, he said, are you going to come to the school? And I go, what school? <laughs> I had no idea they were going to have a school. And uh, he says, well, we're going to start a school here next year. So I said, uh, well, I don't know. I'll ask my parents. So anyway, um, you know, I had plans of going to a Royal High School, and that's where the area that I lived in, a lot of the other guys on my Indian team, you know, we we're all going to go to a Royal and play basketball over there and so forth. But, uh, you know, when this opportunity came up, it sounded good to me. I don't, I asked my parents, they were, they were good with it. So I came first year, 1964, uh, it was the first year of the school. I was a ninth grader. 7.30 in the morning, we had a Latin class of all things. How in the world they have Latin at 7.30 in the morning? I don't know. But uh, anyway, so I was in the very first class at Rio Honda Prep. So, and there were only four kids in my class, 17 cool. kids in the school overall that first year. 
think it was 17, 14 or 17. I can't remember. Weren't very many though. It only went to, it was seventh through 10th grade first year. Oh, wow. So Rio's always had small class sizes and uh, enrollments, but, but that's pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty big deal there that it was four kids in your class. Um, so what was sports like then with only a handful of kids in the school? Was there only one team? Well, the very first year we didn't have a school uh, team. We didn't play sports as a, as a school because we only went to 10th grade. Uh, I actually started playing sports the next year. So, uh, in ninth grade, I still played, uh, I still played on Indian, uh, in junior high and Mr. Dow was our coach. And, uh, the next year, we started playing high school sports. We started our first year of six-man football, played basketball, baseball. Uh, didn't do real well that first year. We didn't have any seniors or anything. So uh, it, was, it was pretty tough when we were just getting, getting started. But um, we did have some good we, – we had some other guys come to the school the second year more than we had the first. And so we, we weren't that bad. I mean, uh, we had one guy named Dan Bryant who was just – he was like, six three and about 260 he was really big and really fast so he was a good player and then we had uh, another guy named Greg Shire on that team who um, ran a 10 flat 100 yard dash he was uh he was one of the fastest guys around his big claim to fame was he could outrun any woman in the world <laughs> and uh and at the time the world record for women was over 10 flats so he he was right, and uh, but he he was he was fast. So we we were okay in in football. We did all right, not great, but we did okay. And uh, same with the other sports. So I think our first really good year was when I was a senior. So and we did really well in football and basketball. Well, pretty much most Rio guys play you know the three sports uh, at least football, basketball, and, and baseball usually. Uh, but what would you say, were you a guy that enjoyed all of them? Or I know, I know you're big into basketball, but did you enjoy playing all the sports kind of equally or was basketball definitely elevated a little bit? Basketball was always my favorite. I love basketball. To be honest, I never really liked football. I uh, wasn't really a football guy. I was, when, I was a, when I was a sophomore, I was, I was 113 pounds soaking wet. You know, I wasn't very, wasn't very big. I was very thin and uh, six man football is interesting game. It, it sounds, it, it's really wide open and you can really get hit really hard out there because there's not a whole lot of people slowing you down, you know? And so uh, it, it was tough, but uh, I, you know, I stuck with it. I, I played it because for one, we didn't have enough guys. I had to play it. And uh and, but I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it a little bit, especially when I was a senior. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. We had a great team, and uh, uh, and I had I got to play quarterback, and it was fun. I just sit back there and let guys run around, and they tried to chase me. They couldn't catch me. I'd just run away from people and throw the ball when they got too close. Uh, but it, I had a, I had a great time playing uh, football, especially as a senior. But basketball was always my favorite. Baseball was okay. I love baseball, but be honest, I wasn't. I just wasn't that good at it. Um, you know, I was a. I pitched a little bit, and it's no fun pitching and guys hitting home runs off you and that kind of thing. So, you know, I was. I got a little tired of that, but it it was fine. I enjoyed them all, though, to be honest. So, you, so you had a little more speed than uh, than your sons, Devin, Ed, and and Dave. It sounds like. Sorry, guys, I had to I had to take my shot there. 
Mr. Drain a little, little more speed uh, back in the day than those guys, huh? Yeah. Well, they're all really big, you know, <laughs> I was really small. I was small. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't extremely fast, but I was fast enough. And, uh, plus I could jump, I could jump a lot higher than they could. Oh, and I was, I was five ten, and I could, I could grab the rim. So, you know, I could, so I could get up a little bit, uh, a lot more than any of my sons could uh, not, not to put them down at all, but it's just the way it was. I wasn't built like they are. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man great stuff i got gotta take my shots of my, my good friend devin here and there uh as we grew up over the years but uh well well during high school and even kind of junior high if you like you mentioned a few people mr wickstrom uh, mr dowd tell me about your coaches and kind of the maybe the influence they had on you as they were kind of going through this uh experimentation as well having a high school and having uh, playing high school sports. So what are some of your memories of your coaches over the years? Uh, well, Mr. Wickstrom was m- just my first coach in care. He coached me for two years until I went to India. And when I went to India and Mr. Johnson was my coach. So I basically went from being on a team that never won to a team that always won. When I played for Mr. Johnson on Indian, we, n- we never lost. We, we won everything. Uh, he, w- he was an amazing coach. Even then he wasn't coaching high school, but he was an amazing coach in, coaching little kids. Um, and, and, uh, to be honest, we always had, we always had 25 to 30 guys on every team I played on in Indian. So we always had more than one team. We'd divide in half in baseball. We'd have two baseball teams. We'd have sometimes two football teams, two or three basketball teams. Uh, so we always had a lot of guys on our teams when he coached, I think he just, he was just a good leader all the way around. You know, he was great and uh, taught me a lot of things. Uh, and when I got into high school, actually when I was a ninth grader, Mr. Dowd became my coach on Indian. And uh, he, was, he was great. And when I, in high school, he coached us in every, all three sports, all three years that we played high school sports, he coached every one, every sport. So, and he was the athletic director. He did everything in the boys' side of things. And I think he even coached some of the girls' teams. So, um, so he was, he did a lot. Uh, I don't know how he, I don't know how he did that, but uh, anyway, I'm glad he did because uh, he taught me a lot. And I, I, if you want me to go on, I can, you know, cause when I, I coached with Mr. Johnson, you know, in Indian as an assistant leader under him when I was in high school and uh, everything I know about sports, everything I know about coaching, everything I know about being a leader, I learned from Mr. Dowd and Mr. Johnson, uh, as a, as a high school kid. And, um, you know, I, I, even as a, even as a senior in high school, I would drive buses, you know, there, there weren't these laws like they have today. I was, I was driving pickups and take homes. We used to do that all the time. We don't do that much anymore, but picking up kids for care and taking them home and so forth. And I used to do that. And I used to, you know, it was, it was great. So, you know, it was, uh, it was fun. I mean, it was a lot of work. We were busy all the time, but man, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, it, it sounds like a lot of similar stories. There's similar lessons. I know that, you know, I, later on, which we'll talk about, you, you were pulling the Mr. Dowd work, being the athletic director and coaching all the teams and everything. Uh, but, but yeah, it's interesting that our coaches, even at a young age, at all the ages, really, that we still remember a lot of their lessons, a lot of their uh, techniques they they were in the details of, of what they taught us uh i i think those who kids who don't play sports these days 
are really missing out on a lot of experiences because you learn a lot from failure. You learn a lot from success. You, you said you were on bad teams, you're on good teams. Uh, but really the instruction of coaches is so unique compared to like uh, teachers or a music instructor or something. I think sports for kids gives them those abilities to, to fail, to succeed, to improve above anything else. I mean, what are your thoughts on kids playing sports and, and, you know, maybe those that don't. Well, I think, uh, you know, cause I, I, I don't know anything else. You know, I've always been in sports. I grew up playing sports and so forth. So I only know that I, I know there's nothing more valuable in a, in a child's life than having a good coach. You know, if you have a coach that really cares and, and uh, teaches you and wants to teach you lessons and so forth, there's nothing in the world better than that. Now, I don't know if there's other things out there because I don't, I've never experienced it, you know, debate teams or whatever. Maybe they have uh, people in charge of them that can do the same thing. I don't know. Uh, so I only know this one thing. And I, but I do know that I remember Coach Scalino saying that, that, uh, there's nothing more important than, than athletics, you know, history classes and English classes, you know, they're all fine and they're all necessary, but, you know, sports is the only place to really learn life lessons. And I remember him saying that and it, uh, it always impressed me and it, it's been a big part of my life all the time. I, cause I, I won't forget that. And I've always used that for that purpose. That's why sports is so important to everybody that plays them. So, you know, I don't know if there's other things. I can't answer that question. But. No, I think you did. And I think that's very well said. Um, well, after high school, you, you played uh, among the first class at Rio Hondo Prep. And, and then there's after high school. And was there any hesitation to stick around? Or was that kind of a no-brainer that, hey, I'm going to stay around. I'm going to stay involved. I'm going to coach. I'm going to contribute any way I can. What was that like for you after graduation? I don't, I don't know what age that care youth league was, was really important to me that it was, it is, it was part of my life. And there was no doubt that, that, that I was going to stay in as long as I can. I wanted to be a leader. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be Mr. Johnson. I wanted to be Mr. Dowd. I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help kids. And uh, so I knew that I was going to stay in, uh, in uh, Archelay. Actually there wasn't Archelay at the time. Mm -hmm. Archelay, but I, when I graduated, that first year after graduation was when Archley started. Oh. So uh, my phone is buzzing. Oh. <laughs> I got to get off it. Uh, anyway, uh, so, you know, I knew where I was going and I knew what I wanted to do. And uh, it was never a question in my mind. Well, uh, you have the, these plans to, you know, contribute and coach and, and stick around Carey League and, and Real Hondo and stuff. And then all of a sudden, things change a little for you. Um, you got drafted into the military, and you were going to head over to a place called Vietnam. So tell me about wh what it was like for you uh, in getting drafted. Were there other people of your peers, really, who that happened to? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming what you got something in the mail randomly, or what was that whole process like? Yeah, you got a letter in the mail saying, greetings from the president. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're inviting you to serve in our military. You need to report on this and this state to get it physical and so forth, that kind of thing. So, 
anyway, yeah, it was just a letter saying that I was drafted. And uh, there were other there were other people, yeah, my age, like uh, Mr. Reed, Mr. Mosier. They're a little older than me, but they all got drafted. Mr. Lammers got drafted. I always tease Mr. Lammers because he got drafted. He went to Germany and had a vacation while I got drafted and went to Vietnam. So anyway, um, so there was a lot of guys that had, had gotten drafted and, and went and served. Um, Mr. Mosier served in Vietnam. Mr. Reed served in Korea. Uh, and uh, another guy by Jerry named Jerry Hatcher, who was kind of our age, he went, he served in uh, Vietnam. Uh, Vietnam went on for a long time. And uh, I, never, I never thought about it when I was younger because I figured, because the war was going on when I was in junior high. I, 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 I didn't worry about it because I figured by the time I graduated from high school, it'd be over. But, but it wasn't. And uh, I got drafted, went to Fort Ord, got training at Fort Ord, uh, basic training and, and advanced training there. Uh, great place. There right in the middle of summer, never saw the sun, wore a jacket every day. Uh, it's up by Monterey. And um, then we got uh, the, like the last week of our advanced training, we got the orders that everybody in our company was going to Vietnam. So um, off we went. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a fun experience, the whole process of getting there and so forth. It was a long plane ride. I think, it, I think we left at five in the evening. Sun was just going down. And uh, when we got there in Vietnam, it was dark the whole time on the plane. We got there, the sun was just coming up and we actually missed a day. We, like we left on, I can't remember what we left on. I think we left on December 1st. We got there, it was December 2nd. I mean, December 3rd, it, it was like we lost a whole day somewhere in the process in our 20-hour flight. But I guess that's the way the time works when you're traveling around the world. So anyway, yeah, so it was, it was quite an experience. Uh, they, don't, they don't treat you very nice when you first get there. All they do is they go around and tell you about all the ways you're going to get killed. And I, I don't know why they do that. <laughs> you know, you, you do this, they try to give you this training, and they... And they say, if you ever get, if there's ever a mortar attack, make sure you put your body under a mat, you know, not that it'll save you, but it'll keep us from cleaning up the mess up. It'd be a lot easier to clean up afterwards and things like that. I don't know why they do that kind of thing to people, but uh, they actually made it sound really bad. Once you got out there and once, you know, the first, first week or so was horrible uh, in Vietnam, but, um, and then I got, I got these things on my arms, these scratches from walking through the jungle. And, you know, I didn't know anything. You know, every all the old guys, you know, they keep their sleeves rolled down because they know better. I didn't. It was hot, so I had my sleeves rolled up, and I got scratched by every uh, thorn on every bush around. And then I ended up getting infected, so I had to had big old balls of pus all over my arms. I had to go back for a while, but then I came back out. And after I was out there for about three or four weeks, it was fine, you know. I have to tell you the interesting thing about this war is that in the whole time I was there, I was there for 13 months. I think for seven or eight months, I was out uh, hitting the bush. I don't know what you, what they call it and what the, what the right term. I was a, I was a, a grunt or a inf light weapons infantry soldier. That's what I was. They call us grunts because we wore these big backpacks and fought your way through the jungle and so forth. Um, but I was out, I was in Vietnam for 13 months and I never once, never once saw the enemy. Never once. The only enemy soldiers I ever saw were the ones that had been captured and, uh, that kind of thing, but I never saw anybody else. 
in battle. I saw the results of things. You know, they would shoot mortars at us and base camps and uh, rockets and that kind of thing. In fact, one night I had a rocket fly right over my head. Uh, I'm just glad it missed me by about 30 yards. Otherwise, it would have been a sad day. But uh, it went right over my head, landed right behind me. Uh, but, you know, but I never saw the enemy. So it was a different kind of war. You know, it was definitely guerrilla warfare at its finest because uh, they were hidden and they were hiding and they were coming out. So they were going to do every bit of damage they could do without uh, being seen. But most of it, it wasn't that bad. Uh, you know, I guess once you get used to it, I guess your body can adjust to anything. You know, living out in the, out in the jungle for 15, 20 days at a time, uh, you know, they come in every three days, drop you off water and they drop clothes. You just grab whatever you could get and put it on and throw your dirty clothes back in. You know, you, you just learn to live that way. And, and it's, uh, it's not that bad, but you know, there's always that, you always have that chance. You know, I slept, I slept in a hammock for a while when I was out in the jungle just to get off the ground. It was raining and so forth until one night somebody says, you know, if they ever shoot in here, you're going to be the first one hit cause you're up in the air. And I go, Oh, Okay, so I went back down on the ground again. <laughs> so it was that kind of a thing. But, um, you know, uh, it's one of those things where the country called me to serve and I served. I did what they asked me to do and it, uh, the best I could. Uh, the last five months there, I got a desk job back in the uh, base camp. I was a clerk. And I could tell you stories that, that sometimes the Army doesn't make any sense, but I don't know if you want to get into that, but uh, sure, anyway. we got plenty of time. If you got anything <laughs> uh, entertaining for us, or, or yeah, I'm sure they'd love to. Uh, fans would love. All, to I rem- all I can tell you is that there was this time after I was I was had this clerk job for about three months, and there was this thing come down because they were it, they were downsizing in Vietnam. It's when they started downsizing and they were sending people home and so forth and so on. And uh, but then the the general, whoever it was, the general at the time decided that uh, we had too many infantry soldiers doing clerk jobs. And uh, their great plan was that, but there weren't any clerks. They had sent them all home. So this guy comes up with this plan that he was going to, he was going to bring other infantry soldiers back in, train them how to be clerks and send all the guys who were clerks back out in the field. For why, I have no idea. You know, it didn't make any sense. He thought it was, he thought that we needed more of these guys in the rear back out in the field, but he was going to replace them with guys that were already in the field. So it didn't make any sense to do it. Anyway, so I had to type the orders up for this whole thing because I was a, that was my job. Some guy comes over and he goes, can you type this for me? And I go, sure, I'll type it. And and then he, he gives it to me and I can't read a word on the page. The guy scribbled all this stuff down. I I can't read this. What do you want me to do? So he reads it to me. And I type it as he reads it to me. So he, he was really impressed with the, my ability to type what it, while he read it. And uh, so he, they had this list of guys. They took my name off the list because they didn't want me to have to go back out. So. <laughs> but then they ended up not doing it anyway. It was ridiculous. It was a stupid plan. And uh, they ended up canning the whole thing because it uh, didn't make any sense. <laughs> well, that's, that's good. Uh, yeah. There's actually typical Army things. So you do that a lot in the Army, you know. You, yeah. I should have been a Marine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great stuff. 
Uh, well, I got to, I, I, I wanted to ask a lot of leaders at CARE and Rio about this in their military service. Um, when you're there, you're in a very scary situation. Was your faith in God put to the test kind of in those moments, or did you depend on God more knowing that uh, any day could be potentially harmful? What was kind of your experience in your faith uh, in those first couple months in Vietnam? Well, you know, I, um, I had only had one prayer my, from the time I went there until I came back. My only prayer was, God, help me, help me never to have to shoot somebody and don't let anybody shoot me. <laughs> so I mean, that's, that was my, that was my, I didn't want to have to shoot anyone, but you know, I was out there, I was going to do my, do whatever I had to do because I figured that if I'm here, God put me here and, and, uh, he's going to, he's going to direct everything I do. So that was, that was my thought process. You know, if, um, if, if it, if I get shot, if I, you know, then that was meant to be. And so, uh, and I would do everything I could not to let that happen, but if it happened, it happened. And, uh, and God was good to me and you know, he took care of me there. Um, uh, and, uh, I think hopefully that, through the whole process that I was a help to the other guys around me. Cause that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a help to them. Um, and, uh, that, that's, that's all I cared about. You know, I, I didn't, I was, it was a scary moment, especially when you first got there and they, and they tell you all these things. And then all of a sudden you go from one place to one place, but the next thing you know, uh, and, and one day you're out in, you're out in the jungle with, and you have no idea where you are. And then it gets dark and you have no idea where you are. You don't have any idea what's around you. And, uh, you know, the first couple of days were really, were really scary. But, uh, yeah, my, uh, my faith and my, I trust that God had put me there for a reason, uh, was got me through everything. So it was great. I can't, I can't complain about any of that. I'm glad and I'm glad for the experience. Mm -hmm. It was it was a different kind of experience, and uh, I'm glad for it. So, well, it was definitely I think a different. It was something that the country really hadn't seen before, as far as that uh, type of conflict, that type of war, where there was all this uh, pushback from civilians and everything. And so, uh, I, I was always curious about guys who who went and served and then coming back. I know it was uh, not popular at the time. Um, but what was it like for you, uh, in coming home? Were you just so thrilled to be back on American soil, uh, when your service ended? Uh, yeah, sure was. Uh, and I was just back. I'm glad I could get back to doing what I knew, <laughs> what I wanted to do, you know, <laughs> be coaching and so forth. Uh, so it was good. You know, you know, there were a lot of, yeah, I understand there were a lot of protests and, uh, a lot of things going on and a lot of people coming home from that war had some really bad experiences and so forth. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't really have any of those experiences because I, my, I went from San landed in San Francisco, uh, got signed out of the army and I flew home and nobody here at care felt that way. And, uh, and I, 
think they were glad that I was back. I can't guarantee that, but <laughs> I was glad to be back. And, uh, and no, I never really had any of those problems with people, you know, yeah. bombarding you because you served in Vietnam, you know, for whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it was an unjust war or whatever, I don't know. You know, I can't, I'm not going to get into that. Because uh, I, I don't know. I, you know, I did my part. I did what my country asked me to do. And uh, I'm glad I did it. And uh, that's all I can say about it. Well, we, we thank you for your, your service and so many of uh, the military who, who have served. And yeah, I think people would be very surprised about a lot of the leaders at CARE who have served. They're very, it's very humble staff and people just, they don't really, no, no one brags about it or anything, but, but everyone is very humble about their service. And uh, again, they did, did their duty as uh, they felt not only the country wanted, but as you said, kind of, you know, God, God wanted, God put you there for a reason. So very, very great stuff, Mr. Drain. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, you, you get back from Vietnam and you had wanted to coach. You wanted to, to be involved in, in Care Youth League and everything. Was it extra motivating now that you had been back from Vietnam or was it just like, hey, I'm just get ready to get back to the things I wanted to do? What was it like jumping back into Care Youth League? Uh, it was great. I, I, you know, I don't know if I was extra excited or not. I was, I was really happy to be back. I don't know if it motivated me much more because I was already motivated before I left to be a coach. Uh, just a little bit of an interruption there in what I was trying to do. Yeah. And um, but it was it was great. I always wanted the only thing that in my life, you know, I wanted to coach with Mr. Johnson because Mr. Johnson was I coached with him all through high school and I wanted to keep doing that. But when I got back, we all had to go. We were all coaching in junior high. Everybody in Archelay was in junior high, so I couldn't coach with him. So that was a little different. So uh, I became one of the head coaches for in, in the junior high program, and uh, and that was fine. I, I enjoyed it immensely. You know, every everywhere I've been, you know, whether I was coaching little kids or junior high or high school, uh, I I never really cared about whether I coached high school. And I was never my dream is to coach high school. My dream was to coach the kids I was coaching whenever I was coaching them. I I love coaching little kids. I love coaching junior high. Uh, junior high was a little bit more of a challenge, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and I had a lot of great experiences there. And, um, so I don't know how, what else I can say about that. It was just, uh, it was a good time. Yeah. You were home and, and back at home with, with Carrie Eatley is what it sounds like. And, uh, this is something many people may not know about you, Mr. Drain. I, I remember because it stuck with me. And, and quite honestly, it was a big reason I eventually got involved in refereeing and everything. And it had to do uh, with you having a conversation with you one time. You at one point were a high school basketball referee. Tell me about how that all happened and maybe some of your experiences doing that. Well, uh, yeah, I was... Uh... You know, back in Archelay, it was always a struggle to try to find ways to make money to survive. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't really, it wasn't really, um, things weren't expensive. I mean, I moved out. When I came back from the Army, uh, my parents were glad to see me that I didn't, I was moving out because they were, they were just waiting for me to know that, know that I wasn't coming back home so they could move because they, they were tired of where they were and they wanted to move away closer to where my dad worked. And so uh, they were glad that I wouldn't move, but it was, it wasn't that expensive. It, I, to be honest, I could, I could live. You might find this surprising, but 
uh, I lived with a group of Arch Lay guys and I, we bought a house. We had actually had, had our own house and uh, we could live there for $50 a month. Oh. And, that and that included two meals, <laughs> breakfast and lunch. So, but still you had to have money to, you had the money to do that, you know? So money wasn't always easy to come by when you were in Arch Lay because you were working here at CARE a lot. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you didn't get paid from care. So, you know, and there were other guys doing officiating. So, well, I can do that. I can get into that. So I went with Mr. Parker, I think it was, uh, and uh, went to officiating classes for San Gabriel Valley, became a CIF official. Uh, they sure treat the newbies bad. Though I'll tell you, I, I did more <laughs> freshman basketball games by myself than I could want to say, you know, I, <laughs> It was horrible. Those freshman guys are up and down the court like crazy, and I'm all by myself, and you know, just trying to trying to keep up. But anyway, uh, so it was fun. And then, um, and then I did. Uh, Joe and I did uh, church games, and uh, we did some spring league games for high school. So it was kind of a. It wasn't just during basketball season. We did it during baseball season too, where we could get games at night and and uh, make some money and so forth. Uh, Church League was the absolute worst. Let me tell you, those guys were, they were hard to officiate. This guys complained more than anybody. I know. And, and, and then, uh, and then high, well, the high school games were kind of fun. We did it up at Monrovia High School. And um, I'll tell you what, so you can tell when this, when we were doing this, uh, Tracy Murray was playing at Glendora at the time. Oh, so, wow. So that's when I was officiating. And I remember we did a game between Glendora and DeWarty. And I can't remember the guy's name at DeWarty, but he was really good. I mean, I think he was better than Tracy Murray, but he was he was really good. And he was big like Tracy Murray was. And I remember doing this game, and those guys, those guys almost got into a fight. And uh, and Mr. Parker just stepped right in between them. And I go, wow, Joe, what are you doing? <laughs> These guys are huge. And he, he just steps right in between them. I go, all right, bring it up, bring it up. And they listened to him, but uh, – we had some good experiences like that, but it was, it was fun. Uh, but once I got into high school, I had to stop doing that because I didn't want to ref and coach at the same time. So. Yeah. So, so I got to ask, how did, how did you deal with uh, coaches uh, yelling at you? How, what was Because <laughs> cause everyone else knows you as the coach who does the yelling. So what was it like being the referee? You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't, mind, I didn't mind too much. I, I didn't really pay much attention to it. The only time, you know, some guy came up and put his hand on my shoulder once and I, you know, I got after him. I told him, you know, don't touch me. Whatever you do, don't touch me. Yeah. I don't care what you say. Don't touch me. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you the worst, worst, one of the worst experiences I had, and well, it wasn't a bad experience, but it was very enlightening. We were doing a game and the game's over and this guy comes over. We, and I called this call uh, a traveling call because the guy, you know, he did a high dribble and he, catches it and he goes like this and he brings it back down. And so we call it double dribble or whatever. And uh, after the game, the guy comes over to me and says, I, I'm, I want you to know that wasn't double dribble. That wasn't a carry. I didn't carry it. And I can prove it to you. He says, I'm the, I am one of the instructors in the Foothill Citrus thing. And I can prove to you that that wasn't a carry. Oh boy. And I go, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so anyway, that was enlightening to me that the, uh, and you're the guy teaching these other guys how to ref. So, but that was before I was a coach, Matt. So. Yeah. 
I'm telling you. Yeah, definitely. The guy was setting himself up for later on when I was a coach. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you definitely have had a few referee interactions all the time. And, and we'll talk about coaching and everything in high school. But, but let's stay on that referee topic. Uh, what, what has it been like for you, especially basketball, I'll say, uh, you know, you're a guy that was very vocal at, at officiating. What what upsets you more as a coach than anything? Was it a lack of hustle? Was it guys trying to take over the game? I mean, you you obviously know mistakes are mistakes. They're they're going to happen. Was it an inconsistency of calls? What what would really uh, you know spark your fuse as a coach as far as uh, officials go? Well, the only thing that really, really, really got me upset with officials is when they, is when they tried to dominate the game. Mm-hmm. You know, when they were bigger than the game was, and and I saw that when I first started coaching, it seemed like that was that was really prevalent all over the place. That uh, you know, they they I don't know if they were because they were insecure or what it was, whatever it caused them to do this, but they had to have absolute complete control of everything. You know, and. Um, and they, they were just bigger than the game. And they, and they acted like that on the court. And I, I just, that just drove me crazy, why guys who did that. I had, I had good relationships with a lot of officials. But I couldn't, I couldn't uh, figure out what these guys were trying. We had, let me tell you a story. We had a guy come here for, this is football. And he was coming to do JV and varsity, varsity game. And it was here at CARE. Uh, and, um, so he comes, he does the JV game and then he says, he says he needs to have a shower. And we don't, I go, we, you know, we don't really have any showers here that, you know, nobody takes showers here, you know, as far as the school is, we don't have them. And he says, well, then I'm going to leave. I'm not going to do the varsity game if you don't give me a shower. (laughs) So Mr. Parker, he, he, uh, he goes up because we used to own this house up here by, you know, where I live up there. And there was a room in the back that had a pool and they had a shower in it. So he was up there and it was, nobody had used it forever. So he goes and he cleans it up really fast so the guy can take a shower. So he'll stay and do the second game. I'm going, man, I mean, come on. What kind of, who would do that? That's brutal. <laughs> so anyway, those are the kind of things that uh, kind of set you off a little bit, but you know, I, I have to be honest with you. I think that my, one of my problems was that I grew up watching Bobby Knight and those kind of people coach. And I thought, well, this is how you're supposed to do it, you know? And uh, so I, it took me a long time to figure out that, uh, you know, that wasn't really the best plan, especially in high school. You know, that, that really isn't the way you should be doing it in high school. So, you know, you're, you're a very nice man before the game meeting the officials, handing them their checks. And then as soon as the ball went up, I mean, <laughs> you were like a different person. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I'm, I, I am pretty competitive, uh, you know, comes to, especially when it comes to basketball, really competitive. But I, I can rem- just, to, just to tell you what kind of person I am, in case you didn't know, I, I was, we had, they had a other ball was a in Royal Friends. She was a kindergartner in Royal Friends. Uh, and I'm sorry, say was, that, you cut out for a second. Say that again. Okay. Who was in Royal Friends? Colleen. Oh, your daughter. Colleen okay. was playing Royal Friends, and they had a father-daughter kickball game. 
I was like, I think I was 50 something at the time. So we're playing and I'm at second, I kicked the ball. I, I'm at second base. They kicked the ball. I'm running to third and the, and the ball, the ball's right there. I do a belly flop into third base just so I won't get out, you know, cause I'm, com- I'm not going to get out. So I'm sliding head first into third base, 50 some year old guy, just overweight diving into third base, you know? And so, you know, that's just the way I am. I can't help it. I, I, I have to, when I, whenever I get involved in some kind of competition, I, so I try to avoid those kind of things now. I try to avoid competition. I play golf. I don't keep score very often. I just play to have fun, you know, because it gets too competitive. I, I know and, what you mean. <laughs> and so, and I can get really competitive. And when I coached, I was very competitive. And I, uh, and I was going to take care of my kids no matter what. Yeah. Well, I, I think anyone who's played for you understands that. And, and just, we love that about you. Respect. I remember you filled in, I was a JV player and, and Mr. Loomis was our coach and I think he was sick or something. You filled in, it was at Sierra Vista high school. And we're like, Oh, cool. We get to play for Mr. Drain. And like the first possession, I'm talking like the first 10 seconds of the game. Uh, you know, I kind of did what I did under the basket with guys and the referee said something you know, pretty calmly, hey, hey, back off, back off. And you jumped up immediately. And you, I mean, we're 10 seconds into the game and you're saying, back off, you tell him to back off. Or it was something like that. And I was just like, oh man, Mr. Drain's intense. This is great. So as a player, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, <laughs> how many times have you been ejected, Mr. Drain, out of the basketball game? I've been ejected twice. Uh, I'll tell I'll tell you about both of them. One of them was at Bishop, and uh, that's when Devin was playing. It was it was right at the start of the second half, and uh, we had the ball, and uh, we bring it in, and we're getting set up on offense and so forth. And uh, Devin has it. There's a guy that's guarding him, but you know he's not even close to him. I mean, that, there was actually at least two guys that ran between him and the guy that was guarding him. And right after the second guy ran through there, uh, the whistle blows. And the guy calls a five-second count. And I'm going, what? <laughs> the guy wasn't even close. I don't know. The other coach must have said something at halftime to him or something. You know, that's the way it was. Bishop was fun. Yeah. I enjoyed Bishop immensely. But the referees weren't that great. And uh, when I first started going there, I was always mad. And I was always yelling and screaming at those guys. But eventually I learned that that wasn't the best plan. You know, the best plan was to learn to know who they were because they were all local guys, you know, lived in this little town. And uh, so I got to know who they are, became friends with all of them. Uh, because before you played Bishop, you didn't have a chance because every call was going to go their way. And uh, because they had to live with these people. But, you know, after I got to know these guys and so forth, uh, I, you know, I'd play Bishop and, and, and the calls would go our way, you know, because I was just nice to them. And uh, good friends. But anyway, there you go. I, I couldn't believe what was going on. And I just couldn't, I couldn't control myself. And the guy threw me out of the game. He, I deserved to get thrown out. <laughs> but it was just, a, you know, I should have let it go. And I couldn't because it was just, there was no way he was closely guarded. <laughs> but anyway, um, so that's one time. The other time was uh, we were playing St. Margaret's down in San Juan Capistrano. And it was, again, it was the start of the second half. We have the ball. We throw the ball in bounds. Uh, I think it was Ryan Wiley was playing. He got the ball. He fakes like he's going to pass the guy that threw it in. I think it was Dave who threw it in. 
fakes like he's going to pass to him, and then he turns to dribble the other way, and the whistle blows. And I go, what happened? Did he travel? What happened? And the guy, and so he got all the guy did was he pointed the other direction. It was the other team's ball. And I go, can you please explain to me what happened? What? Because he didn't signal anything. He didn't signal traveling or anything else. He just pointed the other direction. So the guy always says, well, uh, what happened was he threw the ball back to the guy and he wasn't in bounds yet. He hasn't established himself in bounds. And so he was out of bounds when he caught it. And I go, he didn't throw it back to him. He faked it there, but he dribbled the ball the other direction. (laughs) He goes, no, he threw it back to him. He wasn't in bounds. Like, could you please ask the other guy? And, And the other guy wouldn't say anything. He wouldn't help. And so I just lost it. I mean, that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. So anyway, I lost it and I got thrown out of the game. And <laughs> so those are the two times I've been thrown out. That's it. <laughs> hey, two times in uh, uh, how many years you coach basketball? 20 plus? I mean, that's not yeah, bad. Yeah, it's been 31, I think. Oh, 30, wow. At least 30. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, you know, Mr. Drain, you, you, when you yelled – whether it was at players or coaches, you, you just, you get so red. I mean, and you were so loud. You're a nice, nice, well-spoken, just soft-spoken kind of guy. And then, but when you got angry, let me tell you, uh, it was a bit scary if we're honest. (laughs) Well, I don't know. What, what can I say? You know, actually when I first started, they had Mr. Horton sit on the bench with me to keep me, keep me calm. Didn't always work, but he tried his best. But, uh, (laughs) I was just competitive and I, uh, you know, it was just, I really wanted my guys to do well and, and mm-hmm. I give them, give everything they had and I was going to give everything I had to them and, and uh, say a little bit of bad influence from watching too many college basketball games, maybe <laughs> got, got involved in that. <laughs> but, you know, I like officials. I think it's a, officiating. I know is a really hard thing to do, but sometimes I don't know what to say. I, let me tell you another story. You're out. You you've been here, because you played there twice out in Palm Springs. This Desert the, Chapel. Desert Chapel. That's the worst gym in the world. Oh, it's junior it's, and senior it's year. A, it's a still still building. It's just and it has nothing to absorb sound. You could have five people in there and you can't hear yourself because it's so noisy. That was so loud. And it, it's so loud. In fact, the one game that we the first time we played out there and we lost out there and. Double overtime, I think it was. Triple. Triple overtime. Yeah. Uh, we could have won that game. Jordan Ross is dribbling down the court, and I'm yelling at the top of my lungs as loud as I can yell, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. All we had to do was just pull it out and run time off the clock. We could have won the game. But I could. he could not hear me. It was so loud. You couldn't hear anybody. Mm-mm. So anyway, that's the thing. We played out there in the semifinal game with uh, Ryan Wiley and those guys. Oh, yeah. And we had a big lead, so forth, so on. Anyway, sometime during the first half, it was like, it's sometime in the second quarter, this, some referee comes over to me and he says, I think Mark Carson and who was the other, somebody else sitting there uh, on the bench, they were assistant, they were coming and being like assistant coaches for me. And uh, he comes over and he says to me, he says, if I hear one more word out of those guys, I'm throwing them out of the game. And I go, what? <laughs> I'm standing here right next to him. I haven't heard him say a thing all night. I can't hear anything. <laughs> I can't hear anything in this gym. And he says, if they said another word, I'm throwing them out. And he goes, and I said, I can't even hear him. I'm standing right here. And he goes, well, I can't hear him either. But 
I can tell by their gestures that they're yelling bad things at me. <laughs> and I go, what? <laughs> I was just thinking to myself, you're supposed to be watching the game, man, not watching yeah. the bench. Mm-hmm. Get out there and watch the game. But anyway, those kind of things are, are a little irritating at times, you know? No, and I've worked with plenty of guys who, yeah, they, they get a little too involved. I was a guy when I – I wasn't a very good basketball official, but I one thing I, I – try to take pride in is, is managing the game. You're not going to let coaches, whatever, walk all over you, but you can't lose focus of the game itself because it's hard enough to work. So obviously you can't turn your ears off, but in that situation, it doesn't sound like you could hear anything anyway. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's funny. That is really, yeah. Desert Chapel, Mr. Drain two twice in a row, our, our basketball careers ended there yeah. in that first year, triple overtime. We, we had a big lead in the fourth and then, Oh, I know Devin and I uh, and our teammates just – we hate that place so much. <laughs> no, no, I don't know why I had to go. Every time I played them, I had to go out there. Played, went out there three times to play them playoff games. Well, I'm we so... played them here. If we would have played them here. We would have won all three games easily. No doubt, no doubt about it. That place was just incredible. I've never played in a place like that. So yeah. It was hard. I just want you to know that I do have good – especially now. I mean, as I got older, I got – my uh, relationship with officials got a whole lot better, mm-hmm. you know, as I learned more. And, uh, and the only, basically the only guys that really get on my nerves are guys who, um, you know, they, they, a little bit of inconsistency, you might say. Yeah. Uh, but the guys who just take the game for what it is and officiate the game and, and if they make a mistake, they make a mistake, and they might even own up to it. You know, I'm sorry about that. I missed that one, coach, or whatever. Yeah, I never had a problem with any of those guys. Yeah. I don't care if they made mistakes or not, because uh, they were they were out there. I knew they were doing their best to keep the game the way it's supposed to be refed, and uh, not trying to impose, you know, make themselves look good in the process. You know, they just wanted to help the kids have a good, clean game, and play the way it's supposed to be played. And uh, and not that you can't push guys around, Matt, like you did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, I, you know, but but they're not they're not going to go crazy about silly little things. And um, so anyway, yeah, yeah, no, I I think uh, yeah, I love, I, I definitely push the the rules. The, I stretch the rules as much as I could. It was all about doing things uh, that you <laughs> if you didn't get caught, it wasn't so bad. I remember. Well, let's let's talk about your your early days in coaching specifically that team from 1990. I mean, you were in junior high with those guys. You, you, you went into high school with them. They were great in everything, but basketball, they were absolutely incredible and going on that state playoff run and everything. And, and I think if my memory serves me correctly, you and I were talking one time and talking about rough play and everything. And I think you said, yeah, the two dirtiest players I ever coached were Rick Johnson and Todd Carson. Is that true? <laughs> Do you remember saying that? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't remember saying that. <laughs> I, I Maybe I it wasn't dirty, were, just aggressive. I don't I don't they know. were dirty. They were they were very sneaky. There you go. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, because we weren't big. Our, our tallest guy, Todd, was our tallest guy, and he was five eleven at the time. Uh, I think Bill Lee was on that team, but he didn't. You know, I think he. Might, I don't know if he played. Came up from JVs or what, but he didn't really play. He was like six two or something, but he didn't play that year. He played the next year. He was a starter the next year. But, um, you know, I coached those guys. Yeah, I coached them starting in uh, sixth grade, I think. I was their leader. Coached them through junior high. And then somewhere in high school, uh, Mr. Ostergaard asked me if I would 
coach the varsity basketball team. Uh, I think he wanted me back with those guys again. So I, I started coaching them. And, um, of course, they knew me and I knew them. They knew my system already. So uh, it was easy to, uh, easy to install. And, and uh, we, they, they were great. Every guy on that team could dribble, shoot, pass, uh, whatever you needed, play defense. They were all really good. We had five or six guys on that team, maybe seven, that were just excellent at all those things. Not big, and rebounding was an issue sometimes, but uh, they could jump. You know, you had Jeff Fairley and Mike Whiteside who could both jump out of the gym. They were really good. Uh, so that really helped. And then Todd and, and Todd and Rick just knew how to – Rick was big. I mean, he was a big body. He knew how to box guys out, and so he could rebound. Todd, on the other hand, wasn't so big. But he knew exactly how to wait until the guy got the ball, brought it down. He'd just take it away from him. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was so good at that. I've never seen anybody as good as he is at that. So, you know, all those things just, you know, and they just all worked so well together. And they had played together so long that, you know, maybe Bill could have rebounded a little bit. But he, he would have broke up the flow, I think, of, uh, of all the other guys that were playing because they, they just worked so well together. And uh, we were really good. The first, uh, when they were juniors, um, we went to semifinals. We lost in semifinals by one point, I think. And, uh, but it was one of those games where we, we played Rebay Academy. And, and this is the honest truth. We played Rebay before Christmas here at our gym. And we beat them by 30 some points. So then we get them again in the semifinal game. And not one guy on that team played when we played them in December. They had a completely different team. And they were all from all over the country. There was guys from Texas, from San Francisco. They were from everywhere. Because I, I, uh, I remember the next year, because we played them again the next year in the finals. And I remember them on the, I, they were talking about these guys on the radio and some high school sports thing on the radio. And, and they were telling where all these guys had come from. And they were from all over the country. And I'm going, what in the world is this? Anyway, so, uh, but those, but Rick and those guys were good. And uh, we should have, we should have won a state championship that year this, when they were seniors, but you know, it didn't work out. Uh, another referee story, if you, if you want. This, this is another thing that I hate. The referee comes to us before the game. This is a, this is a Southern California regional championship. And we're playing Rebay. And, you know, and their guys, their front line, I mean, besides their point guard, everybody in their team was 6'5 or taller. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the guy comes to me before the game, and he says, I just want you to know that we are not going to decide this game. We're not going to decide it. We're not going to make any calls that are going to decide this game. So I said, okay. So anyway, the game's going on. And, uh, you know, and these guys, they're so big and they're just posting up in the key and they're sitting there in a key for five or six seconds and then getting the ball and turning around and scoring because we couldn't, couldn't guard them once they got the ball in there. And so I'm, I'm talking, I asked the guy about three seconds, so forth. And he, he runs by me. He says, we're not going to give you that stupid call. I said, okay, well, all right. If you're not going to give it to me, that's fine. But, you know, it is a rule. It's just like any other rule, like 10 <laughs> seconds or five seconds or whatever. It's, it's a rule. But that's fine. I don't want to give it to me. So anyway, the game goes on, and and we and at the end of the game we score with with four seconds left, and go ahead by one point. So they call timeout, and uh, so so we have our huddle, and we I tell them what to do, 
and uh, they th we make them force them to throw the ball in by you know by, you know by the free throw line, so they can't get it down court. And their point guard was actually hurt. He was their only guy that could really get it down court that fast. And so we make them throw it in to get back. And the guy turns really fast, and he when he turns, he kind of bumps into one of our guys. And the whistle blows, and they call a foul. So I'm sitting there saying, I, I, you know, I, I was just – I was brokenhearted at the time. But now I think about it, the, guy's, the guy says he's not going to make a call that's going to decide the game, and he just did. He just yeah. made that call. I mean, maybe it was a foul. I mean, there were other guys hitting guys a lot harder than that during the course of the game that weren't fouls. But that one he called at the end of the game. With three seconds left, they're 75 feet from the basket or something, and he calls a foul that was ticky-tack at best, and uh, we lose the game. But anyway, so that's just another referee. But I, Rick and those guys and Todd and all those guys, Jeff and, and uh, Dave Joe and Jeff, Fair, uh, Jeff uh, Valdez and John Lee, those guys were incredible players, incredible attitude, incredible work Worth that work ethic, and they were just great to coach. And it, I'm glad that was my first my first team that I got to coach because uh, they knew exactly. You know, we had a really simple offense that uh, they ran to perfection. It's the only one we ever had. We only had one little set thing that we did, and everything else was whatever they wanted to do. And they were just good at it, and they knew how to do it. And uh, we made that run in the state playoffs. You know, we beat the we beat the San Diego champion, Division mm -hmm. Five champion. And then we went. We played up in uh, Central. And we beat the Central Section Championship team because because we had we had lost the championship game in the CF, so we had to play all the good teams <laughs> and had to play them all on the road. And but we beat them all, and especially up there in the Central Section, it was up by Fresno someplace. And that team was, I think, it was Emmanuel Reedley or something, and they were really good, and they were really big too. But we beat them soundly. And uh, by the end of the game, at that place, we go in this gym out in the middle of a cornfield. I mean, really, we're driving through cornfields, and all of a sudden, we came up on this gym out in the middle of nowhere. And that place was packed. They must have had a couple thousand people in there. It was crowded. But by the end of the game, they were all rooting for us. So, because they, I think they just enjoyed the kind of basketball these guys played. So, yeah. it, was, it was great. They were a great team. Was that kind of – I know Hoosiers is a, one of your favorite films, one of mine for sure. Was that kind of a Hoosiers type moment for you guys that year? Oh yeah, it was, it was great. It was fantastic. You know, we were the underdogs everywhere we went, uh, especially in the, especially in the state playoffs and uh, just doing what we did and being able to accomplish what we did is, is a, just an incredible uh, statement to what these guys put into what they were doing. And uh, I, and 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 I I didn't go on, but after we lost to Rebay in that thing, Rebay went up to the state championship game and won by like twenty five or thirty points. So, wasn't even a close game. So, wow, that could have been could have been us. If we were that close, but anyway, it wasn't to be, and it's all good. Uh, I think we all learned great lessons from that season and that and that game in particular, and and uh, a great bunch of guys that were on that team. Oh, I wish I could have seen it. I've seen it. Uh in some form, videotape, whatever. I, I've just heard the legends and I'm like, man, that sounds like an amazing group of guys. I happen to know a lot of those guys, Pete Clark, Rick Johnson, Todd Carson, Bill Lee, John Lee, uh, Jeff Fairley. I, you know, in interactions, I love asking them questions about their days playing and everything, which is fun. 
but anyway, r- real quick, do you remember, Mr. J- I think I talked about it on the show with Devin. Do you remember the father-son technical foul uh, situation that occurred in, in the summer league one time when, when we were all playing as uh, juniors or seniors or whatever? <laughs> I think <laughs> – I, I, no, I don't remember that. I, Devin, I, Devin got the technical foul. He, he liked to run his mouth a little too much, and I grabbed him like, hey, come on, that's your dad's job. And then I hear another whistle behind me, and you're getting the technical foul. And, and he just, he, I looked at him and just rolled my eyes. I go, yeah, see, now, now, we, now we got two. Yeah, I used to get a lot of technical fouls, especially at summer league games. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, it was all good, so. Oh, I was like, anyway, Devin, your, uh, your dad's going to get plenty. Let him get him. We need you to score <laughs> points. We need you on the floor. Come on, man. I remember, oh. I remember a game at the uh, funniest technical foul. I, it wasn't me. I didn't get the technical foul, but I was laughing because it happened. But Jason Ramos got a technical foul over it, uh, and I couldn't figure out why. I go, what did he do? What did he, he didn't look like he did anything or say anything. But he, I guess he said some the guy made a call, and he said brutal or something like that after the call. He just said brutal. <laughs> so he told me what he said, and I go, I just started laughing. I, That's hilarious. So, you know, what in the world? But anyway, Jason Ramos, those guys, those guys, you know, every team I coached was just great. I have to tell you, they were, they were so much fun. And uh, I, uh, let me tell you this, that so that everybody knows. When I, I coached a 1-3-1 defense. That was my main defense for a long time. And I had to go away from it. That like Brick and those guys, we played man to man and one three one. That's basically what we did. And um, but we played one three one when David Joe was in the game because David Joe was fantastic at playing baseline. He could play that bottom position really good. That guy would take charges. He would take. He would average a charge in a half a game or something. He was he was really good. I love it. And he played that position. And then. Uh, we had to kind of go away from it try, until we found somebody that could do it. We kept trying to do it, and nobody could play that position. And then uh, I did it with uh, did it with Mark Carson. Mark Carson, and actually I did it a little different with Mark because uh, we only had one guy on that team, Mark's team, that could rebound. Uh, and so Carl Graham, and we, so we stick him under the basket, and he would never move. That You just stay here and get the ball when they shoot. That was a good job. And uh, – so Mark had to do – Mark had to go, cover the free throw line and cover both corners of the, of the court. And he did it really well. And then the third guy was you. You know, we, we did it when you were playing because, it, you know, you could cover that whole baseline. And, and I think it just takes a certain kind of mentality. You know, you have to understand the game really well and anticipate what the other team's going to do and so that you can get to where you need to get to. Most guys just – they can't – can't get the concept they can't figure it out they're always guessing wrong or they're always in the wrong position or they're getting screened out by somebody they can't get out there and but you three guys were fantastic at that 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 position and that's one of the reasons why we played that and we could do it successfully because you can't do it successfully if you don't have someone to play baseline so at least in the way i run it well, well, thank you for those kind words, Mr. Dre. Yeah, I loved, uh, I loved defense and just that was taking charges. Dave Joe, my kind of guy. That's that's outstanding. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to go right now if you need me. Uh, <laughs> you know, we we're going to be 30, 35, 40, whatever you want to run. I'm ready to go. Um, we'll get the ball to Devin and get up the court quick. Uh, hey, <laughs> you got to call defenses, right? Uh, yeah. Didn't I give you that job to call yeah. defense? Yeah. So you can call whatever you wanted. 
That's right. That's right. Let's trap. Let's let's yeah, back I off. You, I trusted you enough to do that. So <laughs> I don't know if I did that with anybody else. Yeah, I, if I was wrong, I I heard about it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> so, many, so many good basketball uh, memories. Uh, you know, Mr. Drain, you were hard on us. You, you were hard on me many times, but I did deserve it. And that you were sincere in your criticisms of guys. I mean, John Lee told a great story about you uh, being really hard on him calling his dad later and saying hey I'm really sorry I was hard on him and uh, God bless Mr. Lee he said no he deserved it I mean so many good stories Uh, I I think everyone who has played for you knows that you're coming from uh, your heart's in the right place you care about your players you want us to do well and you want us to listen I mean it was I still feel all these years later, like we're still playing for you. We're adults now. We got our own lives, but we, I think a lot of us still feel like, Hey, those lessons that, that you've said over the years to us, not even sports related because the other stuff's really what is important, how to be a family man, uh, responsibility, uh, be a man of God. Uh, all, all those things over the years are what's really important. And I think something, two phrases really that have been a staple in everything you've done has been, run to win and practice makes permanent. I mean, everyone who knows Mr. Drain knows you. They, they, those, those words are just as clear as day still. So what can you tell me about those two phrases and why they're so important to you? Well, uh, practice makes permanent is kind of the thing that uh, I actually got that from Mark Carson's dad uh, in English class when I was in high school. Uh, he told me that and, uh, he says, you know, it doesn't really make practice doesn't really make perfect because if you practice doing things wrong, you're going to still do them wrong. You know, it's just the way it is. You got to practice doing things right. And uh, if you do it right, then eventually it's going to become a part of you. And uh, that's, that's just a good philosophy to have in everything that you do, uh, whether it's sports or, or business or anything else. You know, you got to do things right. Do it the right way. And if you do it the right way, good things are going to happen. And um, and run to win is uh, run to win. Obviously, comes from First Corinthians, and Paul is writing that. And uh, but you know, whatever you do, whether it's whether you're going to be a father or you're going to be a, a doctor or whatever it is, you got to do it to the best you can do it. Why, why compete if you're not going to do it to the best of your ability? If you do, you're going to look back and you're going to have regrets about what you did. And uh, you don't want to have any regrets. So you put everything you have into everything that you do. And, um, and I think that, you know, in, in Paul's case, when he's writing in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about your spiritual life. You know, if you're really going to be successful at having this in your spiritual life and having a relationship with God, you know, you have to put your best into that, you know, and uh, God expects you to do your best and give everything you have. And uh, I think that's part of, you know, it's just so important in everything that you do. You know, you, you give your best in everything. If you're going to be a father, you know, you have give your best, you know, raise your children the way, you, you know, the way you want, would want to be raised, you know, do your best for them. And, um, that doesn't mean just giving them everything either. You know, it means teaching them, training them, giving a little bit of discipline here and there always helps. 
you know, and uh, that's what I, that's what I felt. That's what I wanted for all the guys on my team. I wanted them to not have any regrets, to never look back and say, you know, if we had only done this or if we had only done that, uh, we could have done better or whatever. And I, I, I wanted them not to have regrets and I wanted them to apply those things to the rest of their life and everything that they did in the future endeavors. That's why I enjoyed listening to these guys when you interviewed them on their podcast and so forth, that just to hear that, that, that they're doing well, that they're doing these things that they're, you know, they're uh, a responsible citizen contributing to society and contributing to their friends and so forth. It was great. It was great to hear. That's why I would enjoyed listening so much. Well, it sounds like a simple message, a simple concept, but really to be ingrained in us so many, so many times over the years and so many, as you mentioned, all, all the players who uh, have said these things, it's a consistent message. And yeah, it is fantastic to hear that a lot of guys you coach, I mean, you, you're, you're not going to say it, you're, you're a humble guy, but a lot of it has to do with uh, your, your teaching, your coaching, your leadership for, for all of us as to us going about our lives. So uh, thank you for, for me and to all, all the players, really. I know I speak for all of them when I say that. Um, let me ask you this, Mr. Drain. When you, you've been involved in the high school program since uh, I think it was you know, 90 or eight, whatever it was. But in 2001, you kind of began a new journey as the head football coach at Rio Hondo Prep. And you were, I don't want to say replacing because – uh, you can't replace a Randall Johnson. You, he was your coach, as you mentioned, as a kid uh, and had great impact on you. Uh, what was it like then replacing or not replacing, but kind of filling in for the, stepping into the shoes of a local legend at Rio Hondo Prep who had won countless CIF championships. And now you got to follow in his footsteps. Was that a little bit of pressure? Was it an honor? Tell us about what that was like. Um. I don't know if it was an honor or, uh, but, you know, I, 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 I always considered myself a basketball coach mm-hmm. and uh, I helped with football. I helped Mr. Johnson. I helped, I was part of the coaching staff. Mainly, basically my job was to do conditioning and <laughs> kind of like Bill Lee did for when he came in for a while. I wanted to tell you, I got to tell you this, you know, all these stories, every time when I listen to these things, I just laugh at some of these things these guys are saying, because, Bill Lee did all this conditioning. You know, he had guys running the length of field and back, and they had to do it in a certain amount of time. You realize that Bill Lee never wore a watch. He had no <laughs> time. <laughs> so, you know, he would just he would just sit there, and he, then all of a sudden he'd just start counting down 10, 9, 8. But he had no, he had no watch. He had no timepiece at all. <laughs> so anyway, I always thought that was hilarious. That was funny. But anyway, uh, back to the question. Um, no, I, I basically, basically I was just filling in because he couldn't do it anymore. Uh, his, his, uh, disease caused him not to be able to coach. And, um, you know, my, I went in there and my, uh, only thing I figured this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do exactly what he would do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to do everything his way. I coached with him for so long. I kind of knew him really well. And I figured, well, if he had a lot of success at this. I'm just going to try to do it the way he did it. And, um, and that's what I did. I just used everything, everything. We never, we didn't change anything. Everything that we did, he did on offense. We continued to do the same thing. And, uh, and it, and it, and it worked really well. I mean, we won champ, we won a championship in 2001 and we weren't supposed to, we were supposed to lose that game. 
yeah. and uh, but we won, and doing and doing and we were down to our third or fourth string tailback. I can't remember at the. Yeah, time. we brought up we brought up a freshman uh, named Landed Goodwell. He, he yeah. was from the ball. <laughs> yeah, because Paul Hampton so, and Jordan Ross were hurt. Yeah, so the guys were hurt, and uh, we were we were really hurting that way. But uh, yeah, Landon made a big difference, and uh, so that was good. But um, you know, I just try to do it, try to do everything the way he did, and uh, that's what I did. Because I wasn't, I never really considered myself a football coach, and so uh, you know, I coached football a lot in junior high and so forth. But and I, at high school level, I never considered myself that. And so I'll tell you a secret. And uh, I've, I've told this to countless number of people. You want to be successful at something, uh, especially if you don't know what you're doing. You have to remember the five most important words from Coach Scalinos. Surround yourself with good people. You know, if you do that, you can be successful. And so, uh, you know, I've had a lot of people coach with me over the years in high school. Mr. Lunny was, was still there when I started coaching, coaching defense. And they, he brought in Mr. Loomis to train him, and he was there. And and then, of course, we had Mark and Randy and Joe and all these guys that uh, coached with me. So, uh, you know, yeah, all the credit goes to them because I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't that great. But uh, I remembered those five words, and, uh, and it worked out pretty good for us. <laughs> yeah, for not – uh, being much of a football coach, you know, to win the CIF championship five times in 01, 05, 09, 2011, and 2012. Uh, I, I think you're doing something right, Mr. Drain. And yes, your assistant coaches uh, did, did great things as well. Uh, I remember you talked about conditioning. Yeah, you were somebody, you and Mr. Loomis, let me tell you, that's what we had for conditioning. You, you always, uh, you always had a way of, of getting us going. You seemed like you liked to send us on little runs and everything. I remember R and R week was rest and relax, whatever that is. You're supposed to take a week off and you called it running and running. So we were running miles all over the place and everything. You you'd always have a soda out there with you while you're telling us to do up downs and stuff. These are the memories I have of you, Mr. Drada, of some of the conditioning and stuff. I think that goes back to the military when the drill sergeants and <laughs> Those kind of things. That's what they kind of did to us. And so, you know, it was, it was all good. So oh, man. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Yeah. Th big thanks to the United States army for, our, for, for those, <laughs> those things. We're all no prep sport. Uh, well, Mr. Drain in, in 2013, um, you uh, won the CIF basketball championship. You mentioned with Ryan Wiley, a great player uh, and, and some other great guys who were, who were winning two back-to-back -back CIF uh, 11 man football championships. Um, which is the first time the school had done that. And then they turn around and win a basketball championship. So what was it like to finally win that, that CIF basketball championship, especially after, you know, the team in 1990 is just unquestionably the, the, probably the best team you, you've ever had or anything, but to finally win that championship in 2013, what was that like for you? Uh, that was fantastic. I, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed coaching those guys. Uh, Ryan Wiley obviously made a huge difference. We almost lost. I mean, I told you about that semifinal game yeah. at Desert Chapel. We almost lost that one, even though we had a huge lead. <laughs> All of a sudden, the uh, I think the referees got caught up in the uh, <laughs> caught up in the noise and the excitement or whatever. And uh, 
and we could not we could not get a call in the second half. And Ryan Wiley quit going to the basket because he kept getting knocked down in there, and they wouldn't call a foul. And uh, and then it'd go the other way, and we'd breathe on him a little bit, and they'd get a and they'd get a whistle. <laughs> but uh, Christian Tarico made a big three pointer at the end of that game to save us. Yeah. And um, and then uh, they had the ball. I think we were up four with just a few seconds left. And I and they had the ball out of bounds. And I told everybody, I said, whatever you do, just stand on the court and whatever you do, do not move. Just don't move. I don't care what happens. Do not move. I don't want to give the referees a chance to blow their whistle and call a foul because we turned the wrong direction or something. Just don't move at all. So that's what we did. And and nobody moved. They all just froze where they were and there it all worked out. But I was a little frustrated with the referees in the second half of that game, but that's all right. Uh, but then the championship was, you know, we played a good team. They were a young team. They were really good. They had some really good players, but they were very young. And it was a close game for a while. I think everybody was a little uptight. Uh, you know, first, we've never won a CIF championship here in basketball before. You know, people a little tight. But then somewhere, I think in the second quarter, Wiley had kind of a breakaway, and he slammed it home really hard, and mm-hmm. it just turned everything around. Yeah. You know, and then after that, everybody said, oh, we got this. We got this game. And everybody was started to play a lot a looser and, and played a lot better. So uh, it was it was good. It was it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of people there, you know, and um, and the kids just played really well. Christian 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 was a big time player in big games. Yeah. He did some incredible things when he was playing here. And uh, but, you know, all those guys did really well. Holgeen brothers. Now, I'm thankful for brothers too. I'll tell you, got the <laughs> brothers, the Holgeen brothers, the Ramos brothers, the Tycho brothers. You know, those guys were all really big, big uh, contributors <laughs> to Rio Hondo Prep Sports. You know, I can go on. And I hate to mention names because I know I'm going to forget people's names. And mm-hmm. I don't mean to. My mind doesn't work very well. But, uh, but they were all everybody. Every boy I ever coached was was. I just loved them to death and uh, and one of the best for all of them. So anyway, but it was good having those brothers. Let me tell you, <laughs> brothers were on that team and uh, very big contributors to that. And anyway, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, and uh, man, when that game was over, I just wanted, I just wanted to sit down and rest. Yeah, I was just, <laughs> it was like such a relief to get that over with. Let me tell you. Oh I man. never felt so just that kind of relief. I would not have missed it. I, I made sure that I was there. I actually had to umpire a junior college game in like uh, Mission Viejo that day. But you guys had the early tip off, like nine o'clock or something. So yeah. I went there, and as soon I wish I could have stuck around for the for the uh, celebration. But as soon as clock hit triple zeros, I rushed out of there, and I barely made my game. But I had to see the first basketball championship in real Hondo Prep history, and I'm so happy for you, Mr. Drain, that 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 finally happened as well as uh, all your former players are, I'm sure. Um, I, I told my brother, speaking to my, you know, the brothers and everything said, Hey, I'm going to be talking with Mr. Drain on the podcast. And he goes, tell him I miss being his employee and vacuuming the school. Is the position still open? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sam uh, with that uh, witty sense of humor, you, you know, I was, I had the privilege. I didn't work at the school, but you employed a lot of your players with this janitor service. Uh, and how, how in the world did you trust 
high school age kids to go clean a building. Like me and Bill Ritter were janitors at that dentist office and then a insurance office or something. How in the world did you trust 16, 17 year old kids with the keys to go, <laughs> to go clean a business? Well, uh, what could they do besides fire me? I, I guess, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that, uh, if, if I had this business, I had started it, uh, when I got married because I needed extra income. So I started doing some work. I, I was actually working a little bit for Mr. Orsburn who did that. And then I started my own business and uh, I had a lot of places all over the place. And, uh, and I worked, I remember First, the first high school people I think I employed were Jeff Fairley and John Carrillo, and uh, and I worked with them. We we worked after after Friday night football game, we would leave and go to work and get back about four in the morning, and do all kinds of places. And and uh, we had a great, it was great. I enjoyed it, and I think they enjoyed it too. Jeff Fairley is interesting. He could sleep, he could fall asleep in an instant. We'd do a job, he'd get in the car, we'd go to the next job, he'd be asleep the whole way there, and then he'd wake up, do that, and then fall asleep again. I, I, I don't know how he did that, but uh, anyway, so that's how it all started, and, and, you know, and people wanted work. You know, I was happy to, if they needed money, I was happy to employ them and give them the, what I could. You know, it wasn't a, necessarily a great gig, you know, doing some of these things, and uh, wasn't making a lot of money, but you were at least making some, and uh, did Sam really vacuum for me? That's yeah, great. yeah. I didn't even know that. I can't even remember that. I remember I I hired people back in school. Dylan Davis does it now. Oh, <laughs> he, he he's working for me now. Even though there's not a whole lot to do right now because the yeah, there's no students, but uh, he's still working for me and uh, he he does that. My other my other all oh, I've lost most of those other jobs, uh, <laughs> one way or another. Probably because I was hiring young guys. And they fired me. <laughs> It's all, it's all good. I, I didn't care anyway. So, <laughs> hey, well, hey, well, we were making a high school guy. You're making nine bucks or whatever each time you go. And we're like, this is great. Just black, you know, make things organized. This is spectacular. So, uh, yeah, Sam and I always joke about that. What's that? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have hired uh, just anybody. So I, I, had, I had at least know you. I knew you guys really well and I trusted you. And uh, so that's why that's why I did it. And, and I did uh, try to help you as best I could. Oh, you, you're, you've helped out tremendous ways, Mr. Drain, to, again, me and so many others. Uh, so many good memories. Uh, tell me about speaking in church. Uh, you were one of my favorite speakers in church. Uh, I heard a lot of club meetings from you. Uh, I always felt you seemed so comfortable and, and just so well-spoken. You had my attention the whole time. It always seemed like uh, the 15 minutes or 20 minutes, however long it was, it seemed like it, it just flew by. Uh, but what is speaking in church like for you as you continue to do it today every couple months or so? Is it like one big club meeting or is there kind of this buildup of, of preparation, like a big game almost? What's it like for you? Well, uh, I have to tell you that speaking in church for me is probably one of the hardest things I have to do because uh, you're not just, you know, it's not like speaking, speaking in club meeting is great. I enjoy doing that. And, uh, and and preparation all that's fine but when you're speaking in church you're speaking to people who are older than you and wiser than you and, and all these things and i'm going you know and uh so it, it's it's a rough thing i i do a lot of preparation and um like i've already i'm supposed to speak again 
I think the Sunday after Christmas and I'm already starting to trying to get ready for that. You know, I, I start, but the week, the week before is just horrible. Um, my wife probably hates me, hates me speaking in church just because of that. Uh, Cause I'm probably not very pleasant at home because I'm so uptight and trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And actually she's really good. She tries to help me as much as possible. Uh, but I'm really, I get really nervous to be honest with you. When I first started doing this, I would write my whole message out and then I would memorize it so I could just get up and say it. But that was, that was a lot of work, you know, uh, memorizing, writing it out and then memorizing it. And, and it was, it was really hard to do. I did that once or twice and I go, man, this, this is impossible. And uh, so then I changed my plan. I, I don't like re just reading it. I could write it out and read it, but I don't like doing that either. Uh, so now I just, I, I make notes. I know what I'm going to say. I have all these notes. And uh, so I know kind of what I, I, I've worked it out in my head, what I'm going to say. When I get up there to speak, uh, it's not so, it doesn't always come out the way I had envisioned it. And uh and I forget a lot of things. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, I do my best up there. And I, I think it's, I think it's an important thing. Um, and so I continue to do it. Mr. Horton keeps asking me to do it about three or four times a year. And, uh, and I think to be honest with you, it's, uh, it's very beneficial. If it's not beneficial to anyone else, it's really beneficial to me because it makes me do things that, that I don't always, always do all the, you know, and, and pr preparation and study and all that kind of things, trying to get, get information. And it, I think it helps me in my spiritual life to be able to do all of that. And uh, most of the time, I, I would guess if you ask most speakers, they're speaking about things that, not that they really think that the congregation needs to hear, but it's things that they need to hear, things that they need to make improvements in their own life. And uh, I think that's why it's, it's really, it's beneficial to me if it's not to anyone else. So anyway, it is hard and uh, I'm glad I don't have to do it every week because I would probably take about 20 years off my life, which means my life would probably be over. So, <laughs> so anyway, it's all good. But uh, anyway, that's, that's what it's all about. And that's why I do it. And I, I understand it's, it's hard to believe, I think for a lot of people that, that you would be kind of uncomfortable because you do seem so comfortable up there and your words always do ring true. Um, at least to me and, I, and I'm sure countless others, uh, I always love the approach. It's just something, some people have a better, you, I'll, I'll say it this way. You, you listen to some people better than others. Some people, just their approach, maybe their tone. It just, it's received better. At least. So for me, you, you are someone I always enjoyed listening to Chris Horton, uh, John, uh, John Martin was great, very good speakers. And, and just as far as church speaking goes, always, uh, always stuck with me and, and always kept my attention the whole time. Cause it's not always the case. I won't say any names, but it's, it's not always the case. And, and so I always appreciated that about you, Mr. Drain, hearing you on Friday club meeting and then quick turnaround maybe and hearing you in, uh, in church on Sundays. Um, well, great stuff. That's uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, let me ask you, Mr. Drain. I mean, you just celebrated a 70th birthday not too long ago. Uh, you got you got five kids: uh, Devin, Tawny, Ed, Dave, and Colleen. They're all grown up now. You have a grandchild now in Carson. I mean, 
you've coached forever. Uh, how's life these days? I mean, what, uh, it sounds like you're counting your blessings these days with, with everything that's going on. Oh yeah. Uh, kids are great. They're all, they're all moved out now. Except, well, Dave actually came back home for a while. He'll, he'll be moving out again sometime soon, probably. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got they their house got sold out from under him, so he came back home. Um, but uh, yeah, it's great. The kids are all great. Uh, you know, Tani's doing better now for after her transplant and uh, getting better every day. Uh, it's there's nothing. I, I'm gonna tell you this. There is absolutely nothing better than having a grandchild. That's the absolute greatest thing in the world. Uh, if anybody's been a grandparent, they'll, I guarantee you they'll tell you the same thing. They've all said so, it. <laughs> um, it's nothing better than that. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I enjoy all my kids. And uh, I enjoy having get together and so forth. It hasn't been that easy lately, but we still do it from time to time, get together and, and, uh, Mr. Bray has, uh, you know, I play golf with him, but uh, he, he invited, has invited me and my three sons to a tournament that we play in every year. Uh, it's a tournament for, for uh, cancer survivors and so forth. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's probably the most fun I have all year long. Oh. Playing in that tournament with my three sons is absolutely the, the best thing that I think I do all year. It's just so much fun. And so uh, it's always great. And uh, the only thing could be better if I could get my daughters to play too, that would really be good. They don't play golf, but uh, <laughs> that would, that would be great. And uh, I played with my wife once and uh, that didn't go so well, but, <laughs> but uh, she, uh, we did play once we went to Ventura and we and were, went over there for a little getaway and, she drove the cart while I played. And so she really enjoyed that because the courses are pretty nice over there. So she enjoyed the scenery and so forth. There you go. <laughs> that was good. So anyway, that's, um, but it's the family life is great. And, uh, you know, you raise your kids up and you try to do your best and hopefully they turn out well. And, but with a grandchild, you just get to spoil them. You just get to do whatever. And then you send them home and, uh, it's all good. So you can't go wrong there. It's <laughs> fantastic. I love it. And do you and Mrs. Drain, I mean, you and Mrs. Drain have been on this, this journey and, uh, you know, had, had uh, some health issues with a couple different kids now. Uh, do, you, do you ever look at your wife and just like, you know what, uh, we've lived quite a blessed life. I mean, do you guys have that, in, that interaction at times, just like uh, this life has been uh, fantastic overall it's had its challenges but just i mean you guys are grandparents now i mean it's got to just be fun to look back on everything you guys have been through um before you were married when you were married and just be like man uh life's pretty good even though we're in this crazy year oh yeah i we uh we feel that way all the time and uh i feel that way i feel i feel blessed you know i you look i look back at my life and it's been uh, a lot of hard places, uh, a lot of hard places. But like I tell every boy on my team, you know, hard th things are hard doesn't mean they're bad. Mm -hmm. uh, hard things are good. Yeah. You know, hard places in your life, hard games are better. You know, when we, one of the reasons why we switched from eight-man football to 11 is because we wanted something harder. 
Yeah. We, we, we were tired of the competition in eight-man football. It wasn't that great. Too many easy games, and we wanted more competition. We wanted something that, more of a challenge. And uh, so just because things are hard and difficult doesn't mean they're bad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you learn from those things. That's where you learn and you grow. And, and uh, my wife and I certainly uh, have grown over the years from all the experiences that we've had and gone through. And, uh, and we've experienced such good uh, support in our lives from friends and so forth. It's just incredible uh, what people did for us when we were, when we were in need and, and our children were, in, were suffering and, and the things that they did to help us. Uh, it's just unbelievable blessing. And, and, I, and I look back, I've, I've had the best life that a person could have, I think. So, and I've coached so many good kids, you know, I, I, man, I wish I could just sit here and talk about all the kids that I've coached because it was, they, they've made my life so much fun. And, and, you know, I know when I was coaching, I probably didn't look like I was having fun, but I was, (laughs) even though I might've been yelling and screaming, I was having fun. And, uh, and I can, I can thank every single one of them because it was, it was them that was making my life great. So, um, I enjoyed every every team that I ever coached. You know, some teams didn't do so well. I had a co- team once. I remember Isaac Holgan got hurt in a in a football game, the last game, second to the last game of the year, and uh, he didn't get to play basketball, and broke my heart when he couldn't play. But and that team struggled a little bit. They had some good guys like Nate Tyco and the guys on that team, and they weren't that bad. But uh, you know, we really missed Isaac, and. Uh, but anyway, it was a great year anyway. Mm-hmm. Even though I think we won three games all year, it was still a great year, and I still enjoyed coaching those guys. So um, it's not always about winning and losing, but it's about relationships and and dealing with kids and trying to help kids and doing the best you can that way. So anyway, I don't even know what the question was now. Oh, no, you said it all, Mr. Drain. Uh, no, I, you know what? The I, I do want to say thank you for the impact, all the lessons and, and uh, the fun. The fun, absolutely. It was a fun time playing ball. It's still fun talking with you at football games on the sidelines here and there. And uh, just, just thank you for everything. I, I really hope people listening to this enjoyed it as much as I did talking with you. Uh, it's been something I've wanted to do a while. I was just glad we got to pull this together and uh, – yeah, just just thank you for all the lessons and for uh, sitting down and doing this with us today. Any any uh, parting? Th- I know I know it's let's see it's Wednesday. You got to get out. You got some golf to do later, don't you? Oh yeah, it's golf Wednesday's golf day, so I'm going to be out there with Mr. Bray, Mr. Horton. I think Dave's going with us today. So yeah, we have try to golf once a week. That doesn't always work out, but when we do, we usually do it like on Wednesday afternoon, uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, it's been great. I'm glad to have you invited me to talk. I hope it was at least a little bit entertaining. I don't know, but uh, someday we'll have to talk about just some of the players. I could I could talk to you about some of the things guys did, and it was so much so much fun. Dave Ramos, <laughs> Dave I Ramos, Dave, Dave Ramos was so much fun to coach. Yeah, that guy. First of all, in football, he was the most intimidating lineman I think I've ever seen. <laughs> But in but but he tried to do the same thing in basketball. Yeah, he was a pretty decent basketball player, but he'd go in for a lay-in, and his he didn't care if he made. I don't think he cared if he made the shot. He just wanted to hit somebody. <laughs> he always tried to hit somebody every time he went to shoot. He'd look around to see who he could jump into and shoot the ball. And 
But anyway, anyway, stories like that. Guys are just great. And I, I loved every minute of my uh, coaching career. And I'm almost done. I think this might be my last year, uh, even though it's going to be very limited games and so forth, because basketball is during baseball season. And uh, it's kind of hard to have two teams when you're only got have very few guys to start off with. Yeah. But anyway, uh, after this, I'm planning to retire at the end of this year. Okay. And um, I'll just I'll still be around and doing whatever I can to help Mark, uh, whatever he wants me to do. And uh, other than that, um, I hope I get to see everybody again sometime. You know, because it'd be great. And I uh, see him every once in a while. I see guys at football games and so forth. And uh, it's it's pure joy when that happens. So anyway. Mm. Awesome Thank stuff. You. You're welcome, Mr. Drain. The pleasure's all mine. And yeah, we'll be seeing you. Hopefully things are back to normal here soon. And yeah, we, we do have some uh, former players around at sporting events so we could say hello and just share some memories like we did today. So thanks again. Good luck on the golf course. I find it hard to believe you guys don't keep score. You and Mr. Horton, especially. That's really hard uh, to believe. Well, uh, I, I started off this whole thing playing with just me and Mr. Bray. We were just playing just for yeah. fun. And uh, neither one of us were actually doing very well. So we decided that we were just going to keep track of how many pars we got. <laughs> Whoever got the most pars in the tournament won, you know. <laughs> and so that's kind of what we do. And uh, Mr. Horton is just – actually, he's just starting. He's learning how to play. He just started not too long ago. So Oh. So that he's I not, he hasn't been playing for very long. <laughs> So, so, uh, it's good. And, uh, actually I'm getting, I'm starting to get a little better. So I'm feeling pretty good. Now I played golf when I was a kid. I played a lot. Everybody in my family back in West Virginia was a golfer. So <laughs> it all comes <laughs> then back. I gave it up. Full circle all comes back around. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mr. Drain, you got golf, you got the, the grandkid, you got all these great things to, uh, to, you know, look forward to. So thanks again. It was so much fun. We'll talk to you very soon. All right. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you so much to Mr. Ken Drain for joining me and for uh, really having a fun conversation, just a long, long conversation, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I could have talked with you for another hour. It seems like Uh, time flew by and just thank you for sharing so much of your history, of your life, of your experiences. And thank you for the tremendous impact you've had on me and so many other people. Uh, you know, you're a great father. You're a great leader, a uh, man of God, just a, a, a great example that I think so many of us still, we still hear your voice uh, like it's a basketball huddle uh, in, in everything we're doing. I know when I'm having a rough day at work, uh, maybe during a break, I hear Coach Drain's voice in the timeout saying, hey, we're okay. We just got to make these adjustments or maybe getting a little louder and, uh, you, you know, kicking me, <laughs> kicking me in the rear and say, hey, let's get going. Uh, so anyway, Mr. Ken Drain, a, an awesome man. Thank you for joining us, guys. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did talking with our old coach. And uh, I shouldn't say old coach because he's always our coach, uh, Mr. Ken Drain. Guys, that will wrap up our week of shows, or I keep saying week of shows, but it's been uh, our new format here, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I still consider it a week or so. Uh, but anyway, uh, big thanks to Mr. Ken Drain. We got a big sports recap show on Monday. Hope you will join us for that. So much to talk about. 
we could have a World Series champion by then. Someone will at least be leading three games to two or maybe have won the series four games to one. So we will see what happens. Uh, be sure to tune in for some baseball over the weekend. Should be a lot of fun. There's some football as well and a big UFC fight on Saturday night. So that will be most of what we talk about on Monday just me rambling away on Mondays, Monday morning quarterbacking, if you will, just uh, just giving my opinions on the uh, thoughts of things that happened over the weekend. We will talk a lot about the World Series, so uh, be sure to join us. If you have any questions or comments or frustrations, you just want to let it out, be sure to send us a message, send me an email, a social media message, whatever the case may be, that... Uh, uh, and, and just make note of, of kind of what you want me to talk about or maybe your thoughts on the Dodgers, the Rays, the fight from Saturday, anything. Try to get that out to me by Sunday night. I know it's late, uh, maybe Monday morning even, but I try to record late Sunday or early Monday morning to get an episode out on time on Monday. So that's the plan for now. Uh, those links, that, that information, uh, our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. Hope we hear from you just like you hear from us here on the Get Home Safe podcast Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Mondays are our recap show of the sports weekend. Wednesdays, of course, are Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in from the retired police officer and college baseball umpire. And Fridays, much like you heard today, are with a special guest, somebody, a long-form interview. And uh, we're already setting up some more interviews for next week. If you're interested in coming on the show, you know where to reach me. I would love to uh, talk to anybody, really, and just uh, get some more interviews going. So that's the plan for now. That's what we're going to continue to do. If you want to leave a voice message, look in the episode notes. There should be some information there with some different links. A lot of different options on the Get Home Safe podcast. Guys, have a wonderful weekend. It was so much fun this week chatting with you and a, a lot of fun talking with Mr. Ken Drain today, one of my favorite interviews and episodes we have done here on the get home safe podcast have a great weekend enjoy the baseball the ufc and of course all of the football but guys no matter what you're doing whether you're out on the town or around in third base get home safe